the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is brought to you by The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash Spot Track, S P O T R A C, for 40% off your annual subscription. That's down to less than $3 per month for all the content you would need across the sports landscape, including plenty of work regarding sports coming back, some that already have and the question marks that surround that, some that are trying to as we speak, notably the NBA situation. I mean, that's where the athletic is really uh, focusing right now, as you might imagine. I think it has the most interest in terms of, you know, the, the general sports fan right now because it's it's going to be unique, it's going to be different, and there have been, well, the, the NBA has done the best job of explaining kind of what's what the plan is. So we have significant data, significant information to research, understand, discuss, and then ha- form an opinion on. And where the athletic has focused today, really Sam Amick, who's been just all over this stuff for years and years, um, he sort of went to the front offices, went to the GMs and said, what do you guys think? What do you gals think? Where should, uh, where should we be in terms of our opinions with how this bubble might work? You know, should we be doing this in the first place? He's got tons of answers, tons of, of anonymous quotes. And uh, it's a heck of a read <laughs> because it's certainly not unanimous. There's plenty of concerns, maybe the same ones you and I are discussing on a daily basis. Here, here's where I want to go with this quick open. Um, it's really easy to punch holes in any plan right now. Really easy. It's really easy to be negative. We're all... I mean, the world is negative right now. It is it is very difficult to find silver linings and stay positive and stay optimistic really with anything right now. And that's okay. It's, it's okay to be, it's okay to feel weird right now. I mean, I'm certainly no psychologist telling you that, but, you know, that's certainly what I'm telling my daughters at, at this point. You know, it's okay to, everything's different. There's no routine. There's no consistency. And anything you did last year that was enjoyable, well, it's going to be different this year. And that's life. So, it's really easy to be negative or take a quick negative spin on anything that's happening right now, especially these big gigantic corporations who are attempting to be attempting to recreate the normal. And when we're focused on the NBA and we're having this discussion, this is all I want to say. We are the, the money guys here. We, we look at everything from a business hat and from a financial hat and everything's got a dollar sign. That's just, the world that I chose. So it's, it's the pair of glasses that I look at everything through. Yes, this is all about money. And if you remember March 13th, when I sat on Twitter and I wrote, if the big sports are shutting down and they did when basketball shut down and then everybody followed the next 48 hours, if those gigantic sports leagues are saying, we've got to stop playing and just pause knowing how much money they were about to lose. This is a real deal thing. And it was a real deal thing. Still is a real deal thing. Hasn't gone away. <laughs> Getting worse in a lot of parts of the, of the country right now, unfortunately. Um, it's serious. It was serious then. It was a serious decision by the sports leagues to stop. It's a serious decision for them to try to restart. The answer to both of these things, and really everything, is money. But you can't just that can't be your argument. You can't say the NBA is being greedy, trying to get back because there's a billion dollars to be made in TV revenue. 
there is a billion dollars to be made. That's a fact. You can look that up. That's a fact. They're going to make a billion dollars if they if this bubble works out and all these games get on TV and they play right through the postseason to the finals. A billion dollars minimum. Um, that's not greedy, unfortunately. That they're a gigantic corporation. They are owners who have their own corporations. There's a lot of money being funneled in, and this is an eight billion dollar revenue league, the NBA, on an average basis. Not going to be eight million eight billion dollars this year. We know that. But here's the other thing. All businesses are trying to operate right now because of money, all of them. And the difference between the MBA and maybe your job right now is, you know, you're sitting on a computer on a Zoom conference call and it's different and it's weird, but you're still able to do something. That can't happen with the MBA. Okay. It's not going to work. There's no Zoom basketball game that's going to be reflective of this that can simplify the MBA process. It's either you play the games or you don't, and you play them in person. That's life. So they're doing their best version of remote conferencing <laughs> is really what they're trying to do. No one else in the arena, no one else in the bubble, um, and that's it. So this 140-page document that they've laid out is their best effort at saying, this is how we're going to pivot for 2020 to try to recoup some of this revenue. And I want to, I want to keep on that point right there. I, I know nobody's crying for the NBA right now. I get it. Everybody's struggling. Um, you know, everybody's taking a hit. All the analytics are down for everybody. I get it. But when you run a corporation th of this size and you can say, yes, they make so much money every year that they should be able to handle these kind of little hiccups. If you want to call this a hiccup, that seems insensitive, but there are so many mouths to feed in this. So many. I mean, so many staffers. We're learning them at more and more as we dive into just how much it takes just to get a game off without fans. So you add in all the workers and employees and whatnot that it takes to have fans, to host an event, and you're in dozens and dozens per team. Those are all mouths that need to be fed by the NBA, by the teams, by owners. It's something we, we've taken for granted as just general fans. You look around, you're sitting at a stadium or an arena and you look around and there's dozens of people who are on a payroll around you. And they're, it's a luxury to you, right? They're bringing you beers or serving you hot dogs or whatever it is. Um, but those are all generally full, full, maybe contracted, but employees of somebody higher up in that organization. Those are all the little pieces that are coming together now to try to make this thing work either on a modified version or on a full version for 2021. Because again, these leagues aren't just thinking about the next six weeks. They're thinking about next year and then the years after that. And that's the point I want to get to here. They're not making $8 billion this year in the NBA. Not, it's not even going to be close. They're also, they've also gone to, on record, and we spoke about it with Scott Allen on Monday. They're going to do everything in their power to make sure that that salary cap doesn't dip like it, they've reported that it might have to. So. There's twofold things happening here. Number one is they've got to be able to recoup enough cash to come back in 2021 and pay all of those employees, assuming that we can have our butts in the seat and they can they they need to put on the event and host us as fans. Costs a lot of money to do that. We know that now. So they're trying to make as much as possible this year to be able to push that into next year and then going forward. Because if they take you know too big of a hit this year, and this is really any corporation, 
but I'm using the MBA as an example because we have so much information about their open up plan. If you've got to get whatever you can get this year to salvage next year and then push that forward to 2022 and 2023, right? There's not just going to be a tree of money that shows up, you know, even if it's a bailout of some sort, it's not going to be there. That's going to make you sustainable over a 10 year period. I'm not saying the MBA works paycheck to paycheck, but in some breaths they do. They certainly can't, can't sustain this 100%, you know, payroll over a five, six month gap, which is where we're staring at right now. We're, we're on month four here. Um, you know, no business can do that, but think about w- where you work and just how many mouths there are to feed and, and, and the corporation as a whole. I know everybody's got a different story, but just think of, maybe think about it from your perspective and then maybe somebody you know that works at a bigger company. None of them work at a company that, that is to the size and breadth of the MBA. It's just not possible. And there's 30 different companies inside of that MBA and they all have to work as one. They all have to agree to the same things. And then certainly from that point down, the players have to be on the same page as well. It has gone ridiculously smooth for the NBA compared to other teams, or other leagues, I should say. I mean, imagine what's going to happen if the NFL has to deal with this in, in a month when training camps are set to open. Just imagine knowing what we know about the NFL and their reactiveness, right? Not being proactive, not being prepared, not being able to say the right things, do the right things. They've got a bad track record, track record this past decade. I am terrified for an NFL that has to go through what the NBA has just gone through, meaning maybe they get two weeks in and this thing kicks back up in, in a lot of these home states and the NFL has to be not only proactive and react quickly to health, health issues, um, maybe an, a spike in, in viruses, but then also at the same time, be able to recoup revenue, hold themselves in a place that can sustain them for 2021, 2022, make sure that their bubbles don't burst because they screwed up a six month process. I got to give all these sports leagues credit and, and hopefully your company is in the same boat you know, wherever your, your neck of the woods is, make sure you're giving due credit to where it's due here. Uh, I mean, I understand that all of us as workers right now are dealing with, uh, like I said, change in routine, change in work habits, dealing with having kids at home while we're working, all that's a mess. It stinks. But just think about how much people at the top of the food chain right now are having to sit on phone calls read and research and understand, write business plans, rewrite, I should say, rewrite everything to not only handle this next six months, but again, try to recoup some sort of normalcy and financial health when this thing, you know, when there's a vaccine and we can start to push back to a normal work workflow. It's just a lot to deal with. And when you put yourself into a physical sport, like the NBA has to deal with, there's just a whole nother you know, line of play to deal with. You're dealing with players who are sweating, could get injured because there's been a three month hiatus. It's just so much to deal with. I, I, I get a headache just thinking about it when I really put myself in, in those shoes. So I'm giving the NBA a lot of credit. And basically I'm saying to the fans, don't just come at this with the money argument. It's a really bad take right now. It's, it's a, it's a dumb take. Okay. They say there's no, there's no stupid questions. Asking why the league is trying to come back outside of the fact that they need to make more money is the wrong question because that's why every single business is trying to come back now. 
I understand you love, you might love what you, the work you do and you just miss doing the work. I'm guessing that's what every single basketball player would tell you too. They just miss being on the court, right? They miss the camaraderie of the locker room, all that stuff. Everything you've heard athletes say for 30 years. Um, that's a part of it, of course, but from the front office standpoint, from the ownership, from Adam Silver and his, and his crew, let's just give them the benefit of the doubt because they've done enough to lay the groundwork with a plan that could work. Will it work? I have no idea. Will it work, you know, exactly how they've laid it out? Probably not. There's going to have to be some change. And he knows that Adam Silver and, and his crew, they know that they're, that they're ready. Maybe they already have plan B's and plan C's in place, knowing that there's some, some weaknesses to where their plans are. I, I'll give you this one right off the top of my head. I think the fact that there are going to be workers coming inside and outside of the bubble in and out, that's ludicrous. Okay. You got to pony up the money to keep these people in the bubble. There's no question. I, I think anybody coming in and out is a problem right off the bat. I mean, we're just seeing too many stories, especially this week where any kind of coagulation between people, I mean, I mean, there's just lots of stories, personal stories, you know, stories from celebrities, stories from sports with the sports world, too many of them right now to trust anything. We're not out of the weeds. We're not even close to out of the weeds. In fact, that there's a lot of smart people that think um, we're in worse rough than we were two months ago, that maybe we leveled off and now we're starting to kick back up really on a national level. So um, there's nothing political about that. That's just the way the science looks there. There's proof in numbers. You can say it's because of testing. That doesn't mean that the, that the positive testing doesn't exist. It's, it's a fact. The positive cases exist, yes, because of testing, but yes, because they also exist. They're here. Your neighbor may be positive right now. It's just a fact. It's just how viruses work. Can't control them until you can vaccinate for them. So um, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. That's the point of this open. The plan is good. It's not great. There is no great plan. But given the time frame they've had to do this and manage everything else, you know, they implemented a 25% pay cut really right out of the gate, similar to how baseball did. I mean, we, we crapped on baseball a lot, but the point to be made here is that March 25th, 2020, baseball and the Players Association had an agreement in place. Okay, we're going to shut this down. We're going to work on prorated salaries whenever we can get these games back into the fold, and we're going to go from there. It, there was a lot of back and forth and minutia of trying to alter that original plan that was agreed to. And none of that came to fruition. Obviously we argued about it on this show, but the original plan is where we are now. We're living on a 60 game pl plan of full prorated salaries. There was a salary advance. There's going to be a universal DH this year. There's a lot of things that were given up and contest otherwise, but I give baseball credit too. end of March. They had a plan in place for how this thing was going to work if, and when they can get back on the field. Basketball took a little bit of longer, but they took care of the players immediately, immediately. May 15th, all right, we're going to have to start dropping paychecks 25% from here out. Now, now we have a deadline. Now we know that August 1st may be the last time that will happen, and then we'll get full pay and then postseason shares as normal from there out. It just, the simple stuff needs to be taken care of simply so that the hard stuff can be worked out behind the behind scenes. I, I give them a lot of credit. Um, and it, it actually sounds like baseball and I, and, and I'm remiss to kind of go on a, a rant here about all the, no, the notes with the baseball deal, because really we've done that before. It is basically the March deal, you know, and they're not going to expand the playoffs there. There is going to be that weird extra innings rule where, you know, they don't want to have 
long 15, 16 game innings because there's going to be 60 games in 66 days, willing, you know, virus willing here. So it's going to be baseball. It's going to be expedited, quick baseball with a, with a couple of small changes. The rosters are going to be expanded. You're going to see some more pitching changes. And that's going to stink from a TV standpoint. But at the same time, I don't want Jacob DeGrom going eight, nine innings right now. <laughs> He's, he hasn't been stretched out in three and a half months. So I'm going to, I'm going to toss that one up as, a, uh, as, an, as an okay because I'd rather have healthy players right now than see 100% normal baseball as it should be. There's, we've got to give a little bit here. We've got to give a little bit here. And that's my original point with the NBA, with sports trying to come back. You can't beg for sports and be pissed off that you got nothing to watch on TV right now, but then also be pissed off that they're coming back just to get some money. Of course, it's for the money. Everybody's trying to get back to work for money, whether it's you going back to your place, whether it's you be on Zoom right now, just trying to make a living, you know, whether it's the grocer who's never stopped, but it's, you understand what I'm saying here. Everything is about money. Everything's about supporting a family. Everything's about making sure that you can sustain your company or your job or your role for the years to come. The NBA and these other sports leagues are operating in the exact same way, just on a scale of 9 million bigger. That's all. And uh, I give them credit. I don't know if it's going to work. I hope that from a health standpoint, it's not a disaster. I hope that the disaster is more functionality, you know? And like I said, there's some of these things I really do think they're missing on with the bubble. You got, if it's going to be a bubble, we got to lock this thing in. We, no one in, no one out. I understand how crazy that sounds from a three month standpoint for some of these players and families, but uh, boy, I'd be, I would be remiss if somebody who was working close with me, uh, you know, an employee or staffer was able to go in and out frequently and you were just relying on, you know, temperature checks and things like that to make sure that that person wasn't showing symptoms. That's risky. We've just heard too many stories this week that say otherwise. So good for the NBA. We've given them a lot of credit on this show. I'm going to continue to do that because I do think that's a good plan, not a great plan, but a good plan. Good on baseball. Uh, boy, it was ugly to get here, but we were back where we started with that March agreement. Um, and just on a personal note with spot track, I'm going to take some time here and reflect cash outputs for these baseball players to show 60 games. So I'll prorate all of these salaries down to 60 games. I understand that the salary that you're going to see. So for instance, Mike Trout, 13.3 million, that's his 60 game payout. Um, that's not exactly what he's going to be paid from July 24th through September 30th, whatever it is, because they, these players have been given an advance, but that advance is being pulled out of whatever the prorated salary was. So at the end of the day, if there's a 60 game season and everything goes right, Mike Trout will make $13.3 million. Same with Garrett Cole, you know, 60 game prorated from $36 million. Even if from a cash payment standpoint, you know, he's made, $280,000 of that already back in March when they advanced salaries. So just understand that minutia. I am going to reflect the cash side of this for 60 games. Obviously, if that changes and this thing gets cut off after 20 or whatever it is, you know, I'll make another update at the end of this process to reflect the actual cash earned. But payroll salaries, tax salaries, not going to be touched. Those are going to work as full salaries for purposes of calculation um, so, you know, teams will have to still try to get under that full luxury tax threshold, 
and everything we've got on SpyTruck for that right now reflects as such. The only thing I'm going to adjust is the cash earnings down to a 60-game proration, which will be the maximum amount that a player can earn in the 2020 season based on this agreement. So when you're looking at career earnings for a player, things like that, any cash entities, I will soon have those reflecting the 60 games only. Everything else is going to stay the same. Mike Trout's payroll salary is going to be 36 and change because of a signing bonus. Garrett Cole, $36 million. So you're not going to see changes there. So I just wanted to clarify that a little bit. I will be making those updates soon. Just bear with me. That is, you know, almost a thousand players. So uh, lots of coffee involved with that. I did want to get that out there though. Outside of that, just give, give them the benefit of the doubt for now. All these leagues, even the NFL for just kind of, you know, trudging forward. I hope they hit zero snags for a lot of reasons. You know, one of them I've already mentioned, I don't know how well they'll handle it, but I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt too. I'm going to give them the, the, the benefactors that maybe they've been seeing what these other leagues have doing and they've had the opportunity to sort of piggyback off of this. And, you know, if Roger Cordell and Adam Silver have been on Zoom conference calls, that would make me very happy. I sure hope all of these people are getting together and sort of dealing with this element together because they all have the same trials and tribulations right now. They really do. They're all dealing with the same deal. It's all one virus. You know, a lot of their op- operations run the same and come from the same accounting approach. Uh, and I do think that everything we've asked from Adam Silver has come to fruition, including you know, our persistent begging for him to make sure to, to do everything possible to keep the salary cap in fold. And it sure sounds like he's going to try to keep it at 109 million for next year, regardless of how bad it gets. That's his goal. I understand that that goal might have to change if, and when, you know, this bubble doesn't happen or something happens and more revenue is lost. You know, at some point there's just going to have to be a breaker, but, um, I give him credit. Because maintaining the integrity of the financials of the game is so important to, to, to the NBA, of course, but to all these leagues. I mean, it is supposed to be a golden time right now for the NFL. You are about to have four quarterbacks, four black quarterbacks, by the way, Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, who are about to set this financial world on fire. I mean, Mahomes could get 40, could get 50 million a year, depending on how he wants to structure that thing. Watson's going to be up there near 40. Dak's going to be in the $36, $37 million mark from everything we're hearing. That's crazy stuff. That's NBA-type money for a, you know, for a player who's on a roster full of 53 players. That's crazy. That's a lot of moolah for an NF- one NFL player to make on an annual basis. So, like I said, it's kind of a golden financial time for the NBA and the NFL right now. Baseball, maybe not so much, especially staring down a CBA negotiation in, in 18 months. But... Uh, Good for everybody who is not only planning for right now and trying to make the best decisions for 2020, but also sustaining their league, their integrity, their financial health, and doing right by their players and their owners and their teams going forward. It's a difficult process. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Give your employers the benefit of the doubt. You know, maybe some more than others. I don't know how your situation looks right now. Maybe some are really going through some hell, but, um, you know, just sort of dial it back. I understand how easy it is to be pessimistic and negative right now. I've had my days. That's for darn sure. But let's, uh, let's just hope for the best. Having sports on TV right now will make us all better. <laughs> There's just no way around it. If you're listening to this, you're a sports fan and you are dying for live sports. So let's just hope everything works out and that these smart people have gotten together and made a plan that's going to work and we can continue to watch sports for the next six to eight months. 
Have you ever wanted to take a shot at getting a $12,000 Michael Jordan rookie card or a $1,600 autographed Tom Brady helmet for just a fraction of the price? Hip Parade is the premier authentic autographed sports memorabilia mystery box manufacturer in the country. Take a shot at getting an autographed item from the biggest names in sports. Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, Zion Williamson, Mike Trout, and plenty more, possibly even Ken Griffey Jr. Get your box today at Hip Parade's exclusive online provider, dacardworld.com. dacardworld.com. No one has more hits than Hit Parade. For my main story today, I want to look at a few teams across a couple of sports here who, well, they may be in a little bit of financial trouble for this incumbent season. So for baseball, obviously we're talking about this shortened season, but as I mentioned in the last pod, the the tax payroll, the total payrolls are going to run off full salary. So everything you've seen on Track from here back is still going to look like that outside of player movement, obviously, which, which certainly could happen. And we'll have to see how they adjust for 30-man rosters, depending on how long that stays. What I've heard on that is that it will start at 30, it will come down to 28, and then it'll finish at 26, which is where we're supposed to be. So in that regard, the end-of-year tax payrolls will be running off 26-man rosters, which is normal. So everybody should be compliant at that point. So which, let's start with baseball, which teams are in a little bit of trouble? Uh, of course, the Yankees, who sit you know, over $50 million plus right now in the red because of their offseason moves. Um, we did think there was going to be a trade made leading up to the season. Maybe on the pitching side of things, then a couple of injuries came in, as as has happened with the Yankees over the past couple of seasons now. So they're dealing with kind of much of the same. It's it's currently unknown where they exist right now, where those injuries are, Aaron Hicks, Severino, those kind of guys. Um, I would imagine, for the most part, Severino is going to miss the whole year with with Tommy John. Not sure about Hicks. He may be back at some point. but Moving them to the 60-man DL will certainly free up some of this tax base because that wouldn't qualify them on the 40-man roster. That's still not going to be enough. Can they trade Giancarlo Stanton? Do they care about being over the tax threshold this year? That's another big question. Um, you know, there was I'm sure there was a big waiting game happening with a lot of these teams because if there wasn't going to be a 2020 season or if they weren't going to honor the normal tax structure, everybody was going to reset, which means there wouldn't be any repeat offense for doing this in 2021. That still could be the case uh, based on how this plays out over the next couple of months. You know, there's still a world where 2020 doesn't happen to the degree that they would consider it a full financial calendar year. I'm going to assume that's not the case. I'm going to assume this 60 game season gets in and the playoffs happen and everybody needs to be tax compliant or pay a fine. The Yankees are set to pay about $25 million right now in tax fees. Now, that'll be prorated down to a 60-game basis, so it's not going to be to that degree. But maybe that's just something they're willing to afford. We've talked about it before. The Dodgers, who are slightly over here, the the Astros, who are you know second here in terms of being in the red, the Yankees, and I guess to some degree the Cubs, those are your top four teams. Those are your teams kind of in financial peril as it pertains to the luxury tax. They're also contenders. 
I think a lot of people think the Yankees and Dodgers are the World Series favorites right now. Astros are in that mix. Certainly the Nationals will be back in that discussion. Um, you know, those are your teams right now who are up against it. They're all right there. The Nationals are eighth on this list in terms of luxury tax payroll. You've got the Cardinals and the Angels rounding up the top 10. I wouldn't consider the Red Sox or the Mets as legitimate contenders, nor the Phillies, but their their tax thresholds are right there. These are all top 10 teams in terms of tax thresholds. So my point is this, even if we have a shortened season, I do think there will be movement. I, I do think there was there were plans for these teams to shed some players, shed some salary in order to get themselves at least closer to compliant so that the tax bill would be less. And now on a 60 game proration, that tax fee, like I said, is going to be smaller. So maybe it's there. Every team is one move away. For instance, Houston is George Springer on this team all year long. You know, if they fall sort of out of contention quickly, which, you know, there's not going to be recovery time like the nationals had last year to go from basically worse to first. So these teams that fall off quickly in this 2020 season and they're up against it financially, are they going to start shedding some players? The, the Cubs can certainly do the same. I think the Cubs thought, a lot of people thought Chris Bryant was out. That still may be the case. He might be one of those players sitting right on the bubble right now. You know, the Dodgers have some guys they can move. We all thought Jock Peterson was going to go, and that was going to help them get compliant, along with maybe a pitcher, Ross Stripling, one of those players who is maybe fifth or sixth on the on the depth chart right now based on how good this Dodgers team is. Um, Houston, I said Springer. The Yankees have a lot of options. I mean, there's some young kids in Clint Frazier who could move. They could even move Gary Sanchez if they had to before his arbitration salary start to get really expensive. I don't imagine they'd move Aaron Judge, but he's in that same arbitration boat. You know, Brett Gardner was re-signed. That's, that's $12 million of luxury tax salary they could shed if they were able to move him on a flip deal. Even a guy like DJ LeMahieu, who had a crazy good 2019, maybe they don't think that can, re, you know, that can be repeated. That's 12 million to be saved right there. So they can really cut things in half um, with two sizable trades. Jay Happ, that was the name that was being rumored prior to this COVID situation. You know, that's a 17 million dollar tax salary right there. So if it's Happ plus LeMahieu, you're talking almost 30 million dollars saved right there, which that still doesn't get them safe but it puts them in a situation where you know, the, the tax bill won't be as daunting. I don't think the Yankees are afraid to pay because, I, like I said, they're a contender. And whenever the Yankees are ready to win, money's really not an object. And I would imagine the same goes for the Dodgers. And, that, and they've justified that based on their, their offseason moves leading up to the season. So um, I'm not super worried about those two teams. They can make a move if they need to. I, I think probably both do. I really do, especially if Mookie Betts is in the fold long term. I have no idea how that's going to work. I imagine Mookie won't sign anything until the offseason, but it's it's possible that the Dodgers still blow him away over the next couple of months with an offer, and he says, yeah, of course I want to be here, and that number seems just fine. That was certainly not the case in Boston. We'll see if it was price or if it was location. He may have just worn out his welcome there. It may not be a, a situation that he wanted to be in for the next 10 years or whatever this contract is going to be for. So if the Dodgers seem a better fit and he's becoming more acclimated with that roster quickly, maybe, you know, $300, $350 million gets put in front of him and he takes it right away. By the way, he should because uh, there will be a work stoppage here soon and the finances of 
baseball are at least plateauing, possibly going backwards right now. So anybody who throws big money at anybody should be taking it. Um, so Yankees, Dodgers, Astros, to some degree, the Cubs, although, you know, that's that roster is still so young. They can flip a couple of pieces out of there. I don't imagine Chris Bryant gets the contract there. Um, Jason Hayward's deal he only has a year or so left on it. You Darvish was a bust. They got to get out of the Darvish deal somehow. I know they were trying to. Same goes with Lester. I know those are both great pitchers when they're healthy, but boy, longevity is going to be an issue on those contracts. Who knows? Who knows what they can do here? They did sign. I mean, they added players. They're looking to win this year. There's no question. They're looking to compete. So that's a team that if the wheels fall off quickly in this shortened season, look for them to be reaching out with trade offers because uh, they do have some kids that can step in right now. Even at the catcher position, they can, you know, convert Victor Caratini into Wilson Contreras and save themselves quite a bit off the tax right there. So if they're thinking financial health and also future, um, I would imagine that those top teams in terms of pay aren't going to be sitting on their hands. Definitely the same will be the case going down this list. So, I mean, you've got the Orioles who carry a $56 million tax payroll right now, pretty much pound for pound with the, with the Marlins, by the way. And the Pirates are not too far ahead. Those are your bottom three in their uh, dirt, dirt cheap. So those are teams that if they're willing to get rid of some of these prospects because they're just not ready to build, that's where the big boys come looking. You know, that Tampa Bay gets gutted every year, every couple of years, I should say. Pittsburgh was gutted a couple of years ago with the Austin Meadows trade. Um, you know, Miami fire sells every three to four years. That's just how they work. We'll see if Derek Jeter follows suit on that. And the Orioles just are, uh, they're kind of stuck. They're, they're kind of waiting out a lot of these big draft picks and a couple of these international signings to kind of get their window. It's probably 18 months away. You know, I would imagine that maybe when we come back from some sort of work stoppage or some sort of labor disagreement in 18 months, maybe the Orioles look like a team that can kind of shock some people. But as of right now, they're, they're pretty stale. They're pretty idle. Uh, but there are some teams in the middle of this list that I think we should just quickly talk about. Texas, they're fringe. Uh, Minnesota, they're a playoff team, you know, with a, with a competitive financial situation. I mean, $155 million right now, they've got some room to burn. They, did, they swung and missed on a couple of free agents this offseason. There's no question that they thought they were getting some players, Corey Kluber being one of them, who, by the way, went to Texas. So, um, you know, there were trades that didn't process for them. There were free agents that didn't come to fruition. I, I believe they've got money to spend in terms of tax money. Cash might be a whole other enchilada, but I'm not going to speak for them in that regard. But that's a good team, maybe a really good team that has the ammo to get better. So definitely one to watch, especially if they get off to a hot start. I'd put Milwaukee in that same conversation. They do have the, They do have a team that can that can at least take that next, next step. I think teams like San Diego and Toronto are still a year away, but I love the young prospects on both. And Seattle's sneaky. It seems like every other year Seattle does something well. And uh, they have acquired some really strong young talent. So if they're able to get a couple of those veterans to turn it back around, Kyle Seeger, you know, being the big one, then who knows? That's a team at the bottom, near the bottom of the financial list that can really push up the standings. Um, so that's how I sort of see baseball right now. Again, I don't think anybody's outside of Baltimore is really sitting on their hands right now. I think once things open up, and it sounds like that's going to happen Friday, about noon Eastern time, transaction window will be open. 
you know, and teams will have to start building out these depth rosters. So they're going to have to build out basically 60 players that, you know, 30 of which will probably be sort of uh, set, set away into a reserve situation, possibly into like a, you know, a spring training kind of setting where they can be pulled quickly from. And then it sounds like everybody's, all the teams are going to take 30 roster, active roster players into their July 24th season. And then, like I said, that might decrease from there. But we're going to see probably a, a good rash of moves here to build out those 60-man rosters from a major and minor league perspective. And, uh, you know, with that could come some movement, some actual you know, MLB-ready player movement. Some of these trades could process that, you know, maybe we're sitting on the edge in March, April there and certainly got shut down when everything paused. But I think some of those things we talked about, especially from the Yankees, who if some of those injuries are now healthy, some of those players are healthy, they may have some surplus, some excess on that roster that they need to get rid of, not only from a roster standpoint, but from also a tax purpose standpoint. All right, let's look at quickly the NBA. We talked about it a little bit with Scott Allen on Monday. There are going to be some teams who I think do address their financial situation via transaction. We have seen some moves. Uh, we've seen some 10 days turn into standard contracts, some teams getting ready to go to Orlando. We've also had some players opt out, Trevor Ariza, Avery Bradley, and Scott's little uh, one-two punch of J.R. Smith during the Lakers is probably going to come true now, <laughs> somehow, some way. Uh, Avery Bradley staying away from Orlando probably means LeBron reunites with his old buddy. So uh, that's not going to be the only one of those, that's for sure. I think we'll see a few more opt-outs and certainly a couple of more veteran signings as teams build out their rosters there. So who's in trouble? Portland's always in trouble. You know, they're way over right now um, in terms of salary cap. For In terms of luxury tax, you know, they're in the worst shape, but it's about $4 million. Can they trim that? Can they get compliant? I just don't think so. If they want to go to Orlando and be competitive and, and keep sort of whatever they had intact, you know, certainly they can't trade anybody. The trade deadline has passed. So it's about, you know, waving somebody and hoping they get claimed. And then, then that removes them from their tax payroll. Uh, just can't see it happening in that small little window that they probably got too much to build. So I expect them to be over and paying a tax bill this year. Miami's got a chance. They're less than 2 million over this tax threshold. Uh, you know, that's a team that a lot of people like. They've also been, I mean, they were heavily rumored around the trade deadline. So a couple of those players, maybe Drajek, a couple of those guys could be forced from this roster in terms of a wink-wink waiver claim situation. It's possible. It's possible that Miami and the Lakers have some sort of deal behind the scenes in place. You know, call collusion, call it what you want, but it's it's a business. <laughs> and if the Lakers need a body and the Heat are trying to get tax compliant, those kind of things can happen behind the scenes. It's happened every year and you know even in this weird times as gms have had months now to sort of sit and evaluate all this stuff there's no question that one of the things they're evaluating is how they can get tax compliant and there's, there's a bunch of teams that are right on the fringe here the timberwolves the magic the thunder all have a real chance less than a million dollars over the tax threshold right now so um we'll see We'll see who can get creative. We'll see who can make this work. Like I said, it's going to have to be sort of behind the scenes. They need to kind of kind of hope that there are claims picked up because there are teams, you know, not going to Orlando, for instance, who just want to get better. Maybe can take on somebody from a cap perspective this year and a tax perspective 
that will give them a chance to re-sign that player next year, keep him in the fold next year, maybe become a trade piece next year. There's a lot of reasons to take on roster uh, roster players right now, and it's you know not all of them have to be to go you know Orlando and try to win a championship. So uh, the creativity of transactions should be interesting, but those teams are the ones to watch for sure. Uh, Portland, Miami, Oklahoma. Orlando and Minnesota are currently over the threshold for tax purposes. So keep an eye there. Football. God willing, we get a football season. Uh, it's been a while since we've looked at the cap at the caps of these, uh, of these football teams. I guess let's start with the dead cap because now that we're past June 1st, it's always interesting to see where things uh, kind of end up because the big June 1st designations fall off. Their dead cap actually hits their team's payroll and we kind of see where things land. So, for instance, the Panthers had the unfortunate retirement of Luke Keekley. They, they had the release of Cam Newton, and there were plenty of other moves in there mixed in. F- over $41 million worth of dead cap this year for the Panthers, which I can tell you right now, in most years, is just a death sentence for, for any kind of team. That's, uh, that's just too much of your overall cap figure to be able to say, all right, well, we, we can do this and build a competitive team around it. It's just too much. It's, it's essentially like having, you know, one player and really a, a not important roster spot, right? So for instance, it's like having a kicker that's got a $41 million cap hit. Not that kickers aren't important, but no kicker should be worth $41 million of cap is my point. So that's dead cap is essentially non-essential cap that stays with you throughout a year and, and restricts you from using that cap otherwise. So $41 million for Carolina, and that's why a lot of the Vegas lines that I've seen have them as the number one overall pick favorites next year. We shall see. Uh, it's not a terrible team on paper. I mean, a lot of people like Bridgewater. Certainly McCaffrey is something to watch. The, the wide receiver core got better. They got better. They lost Greg Olson, of course, but you know they brought in Robbie Anderson. DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel have shown that they can do it. We'll see. I mean, if Bridgewater can kind of find quickly find some chemistry with this with these guys, Chris Manhurts is the tight end now to step in, and they did draft a couple of people as well, Cam Sutton. I, I just I think a lot of people think it's a year away, but a team that has pieces, at least offensively, I think the defense could certainly use some work. But offensively, there's pieces. If 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 they do, you know, rip down and get themselves the number one pick that could be a very, very valuable pick for a team that isn't truly the bottom of the barrel in terms of talent and stock and potential. So something to watch. Again, dead cap generally does translate to tough seasons. So Carolina wins that battle right now. Jacksonville's right there next. Again, you know, Nick Foles out, a couple of other players out, quite a few actually out, but uh, 37 and change in dead cap right now. Not much more to say about that, to be perfectly frank. They're going to uh, they're gonna be bad. And if the plan is give Gardner Minshew the keys to the street for a season, if it works out, we win. If it doesn't work out, we get Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields and we win again. So I'm not super worried about that franchise, but boy, does that seem like it's a broken record. Every three or four years, they're just back in this scenario where they're gotten their roster, loading up on dead cap and getting ready for another rebuild. It's uh, That's a, been a tough situation to watch for sure. We know what happened with the Rams. They're third on this dead cap list, almost $34 million right now. That's Gurley, that's Clay Matthews, that's Brandon Cooks, um, and a few other big, big names there. They did a pretty decent job with an almost undoable situation. Get, getting rid of Gurley, getting him to sign elsewhere, 
to where two and a half million dollars of that dead cap is offset cap and cash, by the way. Um, that was a really tough situation. Like, you know, you can blame them for signing the contract in the first place, but at the, at the time, Todd Gurley was the best running back in football and maybe they didn't do, didn't do their due diligence on his health, but from where they were to where they were, you know, where they came in March and then having to get rid of that contract and really still having a, a pretty decent roster, you know, trading, trading Brandon cooks, uh, another move we kind of saw coming. The roster is not that bad. If Jared Goff can be above average and some of these, these running backs that they've acquired via draft or free agency can at least hold the bill. And I think they can, I think there's a couple of real players there. Then I'm not sure they take too far a step back. I just don't, you know, it's going to have to be a big year for Cooper cup, but I'm just not super worried about the Rams. I think they're one of those teams that can buck the trend where they're loaded up on dead cap because of a couple of really big contracts they had to get out of. And uh, the roster behind it still looks pretty darn good. Here's one we don't see too often though. Number four, the Patriots over $24 million of dead cap. Brady's contract voided out. That's a big part of it. Same thing with Gronk on that trade. They left some things behind. It's just a, it's a weird year. Uh, You know, everybody in the world is talking about what's going to happen to the Patriots you know, is Jared Stidham going to be worth anything or is Brian Hoare going to be the quarterback or are they going to sign Cam Newton or, uh, you know, there's just so much uncertainty on this team. Well, guess what? Outside of the quarterback position, <laughs> this uh, this team was pretty darn good last year. You know, the remaining team that didn't go anywhere. Yes, they lost Kyle Van Noy. They lost a couple of other pieces, but I just, I kind of think they're going to be okay. They could, all, by the way, also just trade a few players and break this thing right down and tank for the number one overall pick. They could do that too. And maybe that is the plan. Maybe the plan is see how the season starts. And if it, if it looks bad, like I mentioned with these baseball teams, you know, if it starts to look bad early, I don't, I don't think Belichick's going to be too proud to say, all right, we got to get rid of three or four of these guys because we're in no, no man's land right now. That's where I can't imagine New England being. I can't imagine New England being eight and eight. It just doesn't make any sense. That organization has been too smart with that kind of stuff for too long. They have made the tough trades. They have made the tough releases. They have signed players to awkward contracts when nobody else would do that because they knew they knew how unique their situation was. And to just forfeit that because Tom Brady decided it was time to go, rightfully so, I think. It just seems weird. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to sort of go through the motions in 2020 when New England has other options. So maybe they think like I do right now that they're not as bad as we all say they are just because Tom Brady left town. Um, but in the same breath, I bet plan B is, you know, if we're one in five leading up to that trade deadline, yeah, it's time to start trading people. It's, it's time to get out of a couple of these contracts and a couple of guys we know we're not going to sign. Let's try to get some value for them, load up on more draft picks, and start to push our way up to get some real caliber players and rebuild this thing on the fly. So for, I mean, I don't, I don't need to tell you this, but the Patriots are going to be must see TV for a lot of reasons, not only because Tom Brady's not there, but because, you know, we could be seeing them rip it right down in a matter of six, seven weeks. And the dolphins are next plenty of moves. They started last year with the trade of Laramie Tunzel um, among others. And uh, they did, Here's what the Dolphins did that surprised me a little bit. I thought for sure, even if they had drafted Tua, which they did, obviously, that they weren't going to do too much else, that it was going to be, let's get the guy, let's get Tua in, 
let's see what else we have around us. And then let's start to build this thing up from there, uh, which I didn't agree with. I think you don't get the quarterback until you you know you have the roster that, that can compete with the new quarterback. Uh, I'm still not sure they have it, but they did add pieces. They added, you know, running backs, a couple of uh, defensive playmakers. They certainly signed one of the bigger off free agent contracts in Byron Jones away from Dallas. So I'm not saying they think they can contend, but they are going to try to do this all simultaneously. They're going to try to put all the pieces in together. I, I imagine they'll be aggressive again next off season, maybe even this trade deadline as well. Uh, this is a team that is sick of being in last place. There's no question. So uh, they're going to try to run this thing all to the table at once. Chips are going to be all in probably by next March. And if it doesn't work, it's going to be explosive. <laughs> but they are not methodically building this team up is, is my point. They, uh, they quickly ripped things down last year and into this offseason. But at the same time, they were adding big, big pieces, big contracts and, uh, you know, obviously drafting in that regard as well. So could they be a bit of a shock this year? Sure. I mean, they could be Arizona or one of those teams that overachieves, even though we think they're a year away. We've seen that happen many, many times. So there's a really good chance that everything that they did this year just comes together and works. It's rare, but it happens. And if not, I do think that their plan is for 2021 to be a big year for the Miami Dolphins. Um, we'll see. Okay, in terms of just cap space, so we're obviously still in top 51 cap space right now because of the offseason. That doesn't change until week one. So teams have to be, you know, roster compliant down to 53-man rosters and, and, and full cap space compliant by week one, which is getting closer, by the way, hopefully. Uh, the least amount of space, top 51 space in football right now, Patriots. Again, that's the point I'm trying to make. <laughs> They're not ripping things down and saving up rollover space to bring it over to 2021 because that's going to be their year. I think they think that they're good enough and competitive enough and experienced enough to really win a bunch of games people don't think they're going to win. So they're, they're still in right now. I think they can quickly get out, but their cap says so. The way their, their lack of movement says so. The way that they used this, this recent draft says so. I just think they're not ready to take the foot off the gas pedal yet. So keep an eye there. Uh, second lowest, Kansas City, as you might imagine. Uh, they've been trying to keep this core together for a long time. They did bring back Sammy Watkins on a restructured contract. And of course, the elephant in the room is Patrick Mahomes. Who knows what's going to happen with these big contracts that need to get signed now that we know what a weird season we're headed for, or possibly no season at all. Um, I'll put it this way. With all these guys, Prescott and Watson and Mahomes, if the number you want is offered, just take it. Just take it. Okay. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I try to think more globally most of the time because that's how I look at these numbers. I think, you know, from a team or a league perspective or, you know, where a player belongs amidst, amidst the list of contracts that were signed previously or how caps or, or leagues are changing. I'm going to try to take away COVID-19 and a dropping salary cap and revenue lost. I'm going to try to just keep that out of the equation here and say, if, if somebody offers you $40 million a year, three of those years guaranteed, you just say yes. That's ridiculously life-changing money right there. You just say yes. And if it turns out to be a disaster for that team in six months, then you, you work on a trade and you, you get sent to a team that can have, handle that contract. We've seen that a lot over the past five years. 
especially in the NBA. I mean, how many contracts have been signed where, where we're scratching our heads thinking, why did this player want to stay with this team? For instance, Car- Carmelo with the Knicks. Remember that a couple of years back? That was all about money. The Knicks offered him the most money and he just said, and he had to decide, do I want to go somewhere and try to win? Cause it ain't going to happen here. Or am I just going to take this ridiculous amount of money and stay here? He took the money. A lot of people gave him flack for it, but I don't know. Can you, would you have, would you have said no to Carmelo Anthony's Knicks money? I don't know. That's what I'm saying with Mahomes. He can get money anywhere he wants, but if he likes this team right now and, and he just wants to step away from everything else that that's going on with the NFL and this team that he likes says, okay, you're worth $40 million a year or $42 million a year. You just say yes. And you let them figure out everything else. They're smart guys that can do the math and make it all work. Sure. You're going to have to forfeit a couple of roster spots. Um, but Houston's already beginning to do that. I mean, Houston is putting the cart before the horse right now. They're getting rid of players they know they can't afford because they want to sign Deshaun Watson, because they wanted to keep the left tackle in the fold and learn me tons on a $22 million contract. So you see that happening in Houston. Kansas City is going to try to win again. They're going to try to win in 2020, repeat with Mahomes, whether he's on a new contract or not. I don't think that even matters to, to Mahomes either. He knows he's getting paid somewhere. Uh, somewhere down the line here, whether it's in Kansas City or elsewhere. So, you know, there are different roles. Houston is a fringe contender who's, you know, ready for a playoffs again, even though they lost DeAndre Hopkins. I think their roster is good enough to compete in that division. But they're making moves to get ready for their quarterback contract. Kansas City knows they have to do that, but they like this roster so much that they're just sort of hitting pause on the transaction wire and saying, let's just push forward with this roster, see if we can get through 2020, in a similar sense to how 2019 worked out and maybe get ourselves late into the postseason again. And then we'll worry about cap casualties and trades that have to happen next January, February, March. Um, but it's going to be tough. <laughs> That's going to be difficult. You know, they've got to get $17 million less in cap this year just to get down to their 53 man roster. So it's possible that there's a, there's a contract that falls off here, whether that's a trade or a release in the next couple of months. Uh, before they get cap compliant on week one. And then third lowest, as you might imagine, because of a crazy big offseason, is Tampa Bay. So they brought in Brady on that contract. They brought over Gronk's $10 million plus cap from New England and a couple of other uh, free agent acquisitions as well. I'm not, I'm not even sure they're done. I think there's room maybe for Devonta Freeman in here somewhere, another running back uh, to go along with Ronald Jones. The, you know, Yes, they can get rid of a guy like O.J. Howard and save some cap there. There may be some some moves on the defense as well that can trim some of this down. I'm not too worried about them from a financial standpoint because they can also just start make, making some restructures. I know that's not really in their bloodline. You know, they're not a signing bonus type team. It's basically guaranteed uh, base salaries from here out, which helps them in a dead cap perspective. By the way, their dead cap, $88,000 this year because they don't offer signing bonuses. And so that's how they live. They let base salaries do the, do the talking in terms of guarantees. Any player who has a guaranteed contract that they don't want, they trade that player and that eliminates dead cap. So it's, it's a, it's a dangerous way to live because it's very tough to get players paid handsomely without a signing bonus while also keeping cap hits at bay. That's what you forfeit. The reason signing bonuses exist is that you can prorate them over five years to keep your salary caps on an annual basis tempered. Uh, But when you're not offering signing bonuses and you're just offering roster bonuses and base salaries, the, the in and out cap hit is going to be higher. That's why Mike Evans is high every year. That's why it's going to be tough to keep both Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, who's up for a contract this year and a contract year. It's going to be tough to keep those, both those players 
with the structure that the Tampa Bay holds. So that's why, you know, think about Tampa Bay as a whole, um, you know, how the heck do they have that little cap room after just a couple of transactions this off season? That's why, because they don't spread their cap out. They, they don't want to recruit dead cap. They want to keep things on up on the up and up. So it's easier for them to control from an accounting standpoint. So that's a team to watch too. There might be a move to be made there. I know there's been a lot of rumors about a trade out of there. Still time to do that. Um, you know, the NFL is really on pause right now. I mean, over almost 200 of the draft picks still have not signed. I believe the number is 185 right now, still unsigned. That's kind of unheard of for the middle of June. Now that we have this slotted rookie wage scale and everybody kind of knows exactly what the contracts are, there's really no negotiation to it. Uh, It's simply that we're in weird times and teams don't know what to do and they're trying not to push cash out. I mean, the second you sign a player, you got to pay a signing bonus or put guaranteed money into escrow. So owners are trying to basically say, let's just pause and see what kind of season we're going to have. And then maybe there's some unique situations that work out where we can kind of reserve some of this cash right now uh, if these contracts aren't paid out or aren't or unsigned and they toll and all that kind of stuff. I mean, those are the big fancy words that the accounting people are talking about behind the scenes right now for all plan A and B and C. But the NFL, like I said, is pushing forward from a schedule standpoint, but from a transaction standpoint, especially with these draft picks, super on pause, super paused. Uh, we'll see if that picks up soon because like I said, we're about a month away from training camps scheduled to be starting. Outside of that, teams I'm worried about, Everybody else has room to breathe. Everybody else can make a couple of quick restructures. Pittsburgh, I think, probably has to make one more, and that might be a cap casualty. That's, I mean, we've talked to a couple of the people out in Pittsburgh. They've already done some damage on that roster just to get compliant for the offseason. We'll see if there's one more move to be made there. It's possible. I don't imagine any more signings happen there, but I do think somebody may be out the door just to kind of get themselves a little breathing room for 2020 and then also looking ahead into 2021. And then, of course, the Rams, who made an absolute plethora of moves, are paying for it dearly in dead cap. They've got, they've got about $6.5 to work with right now on a top 51 standpoint. Don't imagine that they're going to have to do much more work. But Jalen Ramsey, Cooper Cup contracts, if they, if they push to extend those, they're going to co- there's, there's going to be increases in cap bits for 2020. No, no way around it because of the signing bonus structure that they use. So if they want to get those contracts done... They're going to have to free up some space a little bit to make that happen. Okay, that's enough of these uh, financial health discussions. Like I said, we'll get back to this a little bit more as seasons kind of get going. Plenty of MLB details to get to. I'm, I'm going to try to keep tweeting that kind of stuff out as, as we understand it. But uh, I mentioned in the open here as well, I will be taking some time over the next couple of days to make sure that all the MLB contracts for 2020 are brought down from a cash perspective to the 60-game proration. Payroll salary, tax salaries will not be adjusted because those will be based off the full salaries all year long. Uh, but I will do some work on the cash to make sure that Mike Trout goes from $36 million to $13.3 million, which is the maximum he can earn in 2020. And I'll do that with every player on the active roster right now. And like I said, Friday, those transactions open up again. Start, we're going to start to see some expanded rosters, maybe some trades, uh, especially with those teams I mentioned who may have to get some tax compliancy. And then outside of that, basketball is open. That, that window opened yesterday. We have seen some moves. No trades yet, of course. Uh, that window will continue to stay shut until the middle of October after this bubble situation has passed and they flip into the new league year. We'll certainly be talking about that more as it gets closer. But as of right now, it's really just about adjusting your current roster, either for going to Orlando or trying to get yourself financially compliant for 2021. 
Okay. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track. Check out Sam Amick's con- uh, piece there on really just how the, uh, the front offices of the NBA sort of see things right now, and it's not as crystal clear as you might think. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track, S-P-O-T-R-A-C for 40% off. My thanks to Hip Parade. Get yourself a mystery memorabilia box at dacardworld.com. My name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast.